The rivalry between British and Norwegian expeditions seeking to reach the centre of Antarctica is one of the most dramatic events in the history of geographical discoveries. In 1909, the South Pole remained the last major geographic trophy to be won. A fierce battle for its control was expected between the US and the British Empire. However, the leading American polar explorers, Cook and Peary, focused on reaching the Arctic, and Captain Robert Scott's British expedition on the ship Terra Nova got a head start. Scott was not going to rush. The three-year program involved extensive scientific research and systematic preparation for the trip to the Pole. These plans were confused by the Norwegians. After hearing about the North Pole's conquest, Roald Amundsen from Norway decided to change routes and secretly drove his ship, Fram, toward Antarctica. In February 1911, he already hosted British officers at the campsite on the Ross Ice Shelf. There is no doubt that Amundsen's plan is a very serious menace to ours, Scott wrote in his diary. The race began. In the preface to his memoirs, one of the Terra Nova expedition members later wrote, For scientific discovery, give me Scott. For speed and efficiency of travel, give me Amundsen. But when you are in a hopeless situation, when you are seeing no way out, get down on your knees and pray for Shackleton. The penchant for the arts and sciences is one of the few well-known positive qualities of Robert Scott. His literary talent was especially brightly manifested in his diary, which became the basis for the myth of a hero who fell victim to circumstances. Sullen, unsociable, unemotional, Roald Amundsen seemed to have been created to achieve results. This planning geek described adventures as the unfortunate consequence of poor preparation. Scott led a group of 65 people, a stunningly big expedition in that time, including the crew of Terra Nova, 12 scientists and the photographer-cinematographer Herbert Ponting. Out of these, only five set off to the pole. The captain took with him the cavalryman Oates, the head of scientific program Wilson, Scott's assistant superintendent Evans, and the sailor Bowers, who joined the crew at the last moment. This spontaneous decision, many experts believe, was fatal. The amount of food and equipment was enough only for four people. Amundsen's national team could win any of the modern winter ultramarathons. Nine people landed with him in Antarctica. Not intellectuals, they were primarily physically strong men with a set of skills necessary for survival. They skied well, were qualified navigators, and many were able to handle dogs. Only two of them had no polar experience. Five of the best of them went to the pole. Amundsen also recruited a champion skier as the front runner. Like other Norwegian polar explorers of the time, Amundsen became closely acquainted with the Eskimos' adaptation to the rigours of extreme cold. His expedition wore anoraks and fur boots. I will call any expedition without fur clothing inadequately equipped, Amundsen noted. On the contrary, 
the cult of science and progress and the imperial white man's burden didn't allow Scott to use Aboriginal people's experience. The British wore wool and rubberized fabric clothing. Modern research, in particular blowing in the wind tunnel, did not reveal a significant advantage to one of the options. Amundsen's transportation tactics were both efficient and brutal. His team set off with 52 Greenland Husky dogs pulling four 400 kilogram sleds with food and equipment. As they moved towards the goal, the dogs were gradually killed for food. That is, as the load gradually lightened, the transportation they no longer needed was turned into a meal. Only 11 huskies returned to the base camp. Scott's complex transportation plan involved the use of motorized sleds, Mongolian ponies, and some Siberian huskies as a backup. And the final effort was made by members of the crew. It was an easily predictable failure. The sleds quickly broke down, the ponies died of cold, and there weren't enough huskies. For many hundreds of kilometers, Scott and his men pulled their supplies on sleds with shoulder harnesses. Each of them carried about a quintal Scott thought it was an advantage. In the British tradition, the researcher had to reach the goal unassisted. The suffering turned achievement into a feat of strength. Scott's transportation strategy led to his people's starvation. Pulling the sleds by themselves meant a significant increase in the journey's duration and the number of calories needed for this kind of physical activity and they were not able to transport the required amount of food. Malnutrition also played a part. In contrast to the Norwegian biscuits made of wholemeal flour, oats and yeast, the British were made of pure wheat flour. Before even getting to the pole, Scott's team suffered from scurvy and nervous disorders due to a vitamin B deficiency. They didn't have enough food for the way back and didn't have enough strength to reach the nearest warehouse. In contrast, the Norwegians threw away the excess food to lighten the load. The distance from the Norwegian base to the pole was 1,380 kilometers. It took 56 days for Amundsen's team to cover this distance. The dog sleds carried more than half a ton of payload and created storage reserves for the way back. On December the 14th, 1911, the Norwegians reached the South Pole and placed a tent called Polheim, home of the Pole. The tent contained a letter to King Hakon VII of Norway and a note from Amundsen asking Scott if he would be so kind as to deliver the letter to the king if Amundsen's expedition did not return. For Amundsen's team, the way back was faster they managed to get back to the base in 43 days. A month later, the tent was found by the British, who covered 1,500 kilometers in 79 days. It is a terrible disappointment, and I am very sorry for my loyal companions. All the daydreams must go. It will be a wearisome return, Scott wrote in his diary. Frustrated, hungry, and sick, they headed back to the coast. After wandering for 71 more days, 
Scott and two of his last surviving companions died from starvation in a tent just 40 kilometers from the next warehouse. In autumn 1912, the tent with Scott, Wilson and Bauer's bodies was found by other Terra Nova expedition crew members. Together with Amundsen's letter to the King of Norway, their last letters and notes were found next to the bodies. After publishing Scott's diaries, an anti-Norwegian campaign began in his homeland. Only imperial pride prevented the British from directly calling Amundsen a murderer. Nonetheless, Scott's literary talent turned defeat into victory, and the agonizing death of the British was considered nobler than the carefully planned dash for the pole of the Norwegians. The triumph of the blunt Norwegian sailors was explained by their unexpected arrival to Antarctica that ruined the British expedition's training plans and by the cruel eating of their sled dogs. The death of gentlemen from Scott's crew that were by default considered stronger in body and spirit was seen as an unhappy accident. Only in the second half of the 20th century were the tactics of both expeditions critically reviewed and in 2006 the equipment and nutrition used by both crews were tasted in a realistic experiment conducted in Greenland. The British polar explorers didn't succeed this time either. Their physical condition was so bad that doctors insisted on evacuation. <laughs> 